Welcome to HLB Cross Border Business Talks, HLB's global podcast series on international business topics. Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to our podcast. My name is Carlos Camacho. I'm the leader of transfer pricing in HLB International, and I'm very pleased and glad to be sharing this podcast with uh, my colleagues, Kristen Janfog and Marina Gentile. Uh, We're going to be addressing a subject regarding the transfer pricing matters. And this leads us to the point of tax planning, because the, the source of this uh, BEPS actions was aggressive tax planning avoidance. Multinational enterprises are pleaded to be guilty, in fact, to be switching assets are not paying their fair share of taxes, almost with no guarantees as taxpayers. And this is the ground that just let the OECD taking off these 15 actions, which the actions seven, eight, and nine leads to this DEMPE uh, approach, which are the ones that refer to this potential coexistence of economical owner, such as five or even more economical owners, if there are joint ventures involved in the development of a intangible. The other interesting point that Bernina brought in uh, is that in the collaborative economy that we're living in, uh, in the post-COVID era, uh, you don't know basically where the people is sitting at. Uh, in fact, while we're uh, recording, we are seated in different jurisdictions, and this is an intangible. Let's let's assume that this has an economical value. This knowledge that we are trying to share has an economical value. So this becomes an intangible. We can sell this. We can benefit from royalties of it. We can get paid for this. We're not, but we may. And having said that, the fact that we are taxpayers in different jurisdictions and we might be rendering the service in different jurisdictions do trigger the issue of where is the intangible deemed to be paying taxes or what apportionment of tax is deemed to each of the jurisdictions involved in that very complex uh, analysis. Yeah, it, it's a great point. It, it certainly is a very complex topic, right? I mean, by definition, it's an intangible. It's hard to to value. It's hard to, um, you know, um, it, it's not like the other functions that are far more routine that you can measure them and test them and benchmark them against the marketplace, right? Um, every multinational's uh, intangible should be, to some extent, you know, bespoke, right? Unique to them. So, um, you know, it's it's hard to get that direct comparison. Um, I, I definitely encourage, you know, with with my clients that um, 
they they set the stage for those dumpy functions, Christian, that you you know you you introduced, right? Um, you're right. It's far more complex now in terms of um, economic ownership and what that means. Um, but I do find that getting the strategy in place and being proactive and prospective about it, so that you know the multinational tells its story of its own business, as opposed to having tax authorities claim what they see out there and the they don't you know the the reason to sort of look at the transfer pricing carefully is it helps to tell that that economic story of the business right so that the decisions the functions what's happening is actually operationally driven and not not tax driven and i think that protects um the company and its assets. You know, I, I work with a lot of tech companies, so I'm very concerned with with asset protection. And a lot of times, you know, the transfer pricing really is far more um, driven for reasons other than tax, right? Even if there's a tax compliance component to it or, you know, possible tax minimization, right, strategies, you know, I'm focused with them on protecting the assets in the jurisdiction where it's funded, developed, where the entrepreneurial risk taker is. Um, so that's getting really tight about how to compensate the other people involved in this asset, right? So anyone who's, you know, software developing, the improving, the maintaining, right? Any parts of the world where that's happening, that entity needs to be viewed as a service provider and needs to be profitable from day one. And that's a concept that sometimes is difficult, difficult to um, to to get through, right? Because it's not intuitive. You know, you have a company working on IP, let's say early stages, they're in a an, an NOL, a loss position, so, you know, wherever they're located. And now they need to be a taxpayer in a foreign market um, because they have a development team. Yes, the answer is yes to that, even though it's it's you know difficult to understand, but making that happen ensures that that entity in that foreign market is a service provider to the entrepreneur um, and thus protects, I believe goes a long way in protecting and showing the substance and protecting that IP in that location. Um, and and again, it's important for many reasons, right? A lot of tech companies, for example, you know, they're they want to be transaction ready. They're looking to sell the business at some point. And you know, buyers are very savvy now. Savvy now, excuse me, um, when they're um, trying to buy, uh, you know, acquire a, a global business, they ask the right questions. And um, transfer pricing really has a seat at that at that table now, for sure. Um, Absolutely. And and in fact, you mentioned something that is very important prior to just changing a little bit of the subject. But I want to remark two things. One is the uniqueness of the intangible itself. Because if it is already invented, if it is already in use, if it is not unique, then it's not your intangible, it's somebody else's intangible. So you have to be very careful about that because one of the techniques in order to get the approach to the right uh, market range of acceptance of the transfer pricing is whether or not you have comparability. But the uniqueness 
of the intangibles makes the comparability very tough. So when we do document the transfer pricing papers, what we do is go to the contracts and to the essence of the contracts, not to the written contract, but the in fact contract. What is really happening? What is that very story that you are documented from day one, not when the tax authority call you, but when you are starting up and developing that intangible, you have to come up with a story that is almost live streaming in order to be able to have something to tell if you get out of it. The other thing is that the uniqueness leads us to another very uh, difficult factor, which is that developing is something that may be successful or maybe fail. Yeah. So when you are developing, you don't know whether you're going to be successful or not. And tax administrations do not understand this. Tax administrations think that every other thing that an individual taxpayer do is going to generate profit. Hopefully that will be the case, but that's for business people that is hearing this, business people understand very well that that's not the case. Before you get a success in any vaccine, for instance, you have to fail many times in order to get that intangible. So basically, the intangible, you can't value that very easy way as the tax authorities are looking for. All right, and uh, this brings us to the point, how do we value at the end? That's... What about our standard methods? We uh, tax authorities like comparable prices, but as you have already mentioned, uh, things are unique. And how can you compare unique things? It's uh, impossible. So let's say the standard tools that we use for services or non-intangible goods, they do not work. Mm -hmm. So this brings us maybe now to the complexity of how to value such intangibles. And there, even though we can differentiate between, let's say, uh, new technologies as intangible or brands, they follow, in my opinion, different rules in yes. evaluation. So uh, we see we run into a very complex uh, situation and uh, let's see how we can get out of it. Indeed. I guess one of the things that is going to make it a little bit more difficult is the fact that there is a definition for intangibles in the accounting world that is absolutely different than intangibles for economical purposes, which is exactly what we are referring to. When we are referring to intangibles here, we are not referring necessarily in coherence with accounting standards. Absolutely. We are referring to the economical meaning of an intangible. And the, the challenge here, just the reason why I bring up this point is because if you are the developer and you go by the accounting rules, you are not allowed to impute that as your asset in your books. 
or because you didn't you didn't pay for it. You develop it, you expense out, you put it all your risk in the uh, development, but you didn't you don't have the ability to impute that as part of your assets in your books. This only happens when you acquire the intangible according to the international accounting standards. So that only makes it more complex because in some instances, the first thing that you want to do is look at the financial statements, but all of a sudden you are going to find no line in the financial statements referring to intangibles because you didn't pay for them. Therefore, Although you spend out, you have to, ENL, profit and loss statement, will have to swallow those payments and investments while you are the developer. But in our one, this is good for the taxpayer because all expenses are business expenses that are deductible immediately. So even though from the tax performance, this is a good thing, but in the end, you have uh, business expenses, but no asset in your books. And, and, and at the end of the day, when the flow of funds, the income is generated, there is a mismatch, time-wise, of the cost incurred and the income generated. So that is another issue that uh, makes intangibles a very challenging arena as we are moving forward. So, so, Car so Carlos, um, you brought up a, re a really good point in that. And the reason why, you know, I tend to speak to my clients and describe it as the secret sauce, even though I, you know, I use that phrase daily and I don't particularly like it, but it gets them to understand a little bit more how we're talking about this, right? Because you're absolutely right. The balance sheet isn't going to be reflective. We're not talking about the accounting around this. We're talking um, about an economic function. And and Christian, getting back to what you were saying about the methods, um, I mean, like like we said, it, it's an intangible. How do you value that, right? I mean, so either you go out and you find, you know, an independent, you know, um, comparable price between two other entities that you know have a similar, you know, intangible. But is that really going to get you there? Because I mean. Again, it's unique by definition, so it's not going to be very close. And the standard of comparability in that type of analysis is much higher than it would be for something like a TNMM, CPM, you know, profitability-based analysis. And then the second option is, do you have an internal um, cup or cut, right? So um, are you transacting with an independent entity in the same way you're transacting with your related entity? And, you know, I'm telling you, 25 years in, the answer is always no in one way or another, right? Because it's either, you know, a different volume, a different geography, you know, a different level of the market, um, a different point in time. All those things sort of blow out the comparability factor because, again, the standard for comparability is very high. Um, I also want to add, you know, I have a heavy background in um advanced pricing agreement uh, negotiations, bilateral, multilateral, right? And helping my clients through, you know, competent authority negotiations as well. And as much as every tax authority out there, um, you know, speaks to the fact or the regulations or whatever, speak to the fact that, you know, a comparable transaction um, is ideal, 
right, in, in, in testing the transfer pricing. The truth is, I could never walk into a negotiation with a comparable transaction, right? No tax authority is going to agree to something without understanding the bottom line profitability of the entity and what they can actually tax, right? You know, I can't go in with a royalty rate, <laughs> you know? I can't go in with, um, you know, a, a cup only without having and showing the impact of that profitability. And, you know, again, why? Because they don't they don't tax at the transactional level, they tax, you know, at the at the bottom line profit level. So and, just, just wanted to throw that out, yeah. Absolutely, and and furthermore, what you gotta go with is a business story, not a tax story. Mm -hmm. So the problem the problem is that tax authorities only understand taxes. So you have a business story that you have to translate into a tax story, which by definition is almost impossible. So very likely is advisable for clients not to approach tax authorities for APAs, for advanced pricing agreements with intangibles, because more likely than not, you are going to be rejected first. And in immature markets, which is the case of developing and emerging economies, more likely than not, that information that you have been given in good faith in order to get your uh, agreement is going to turn back to you and leach you with an audit. I guess that this has been plenty uh, for a round of uh, issues that can be the consequence of intangibles. We thank you for all your input, uh, both Marina and Christian. And of course, we'll be delighted to be sharing with you uh, further podcasts in the future. Thanks for listening. For more information about this topic and other cross-border business insights, visit www.hlb.global forward slash insights.